Welcome to the Startup Help Desk. We are your source for answers to questions about starting, building, and creating innovative companies. We are all experienced founders who have been there, done that. We've invested in, started, built, and sold hundreds of companies. Our job is to answer your questions and in doing so, share our hard-earned lessons with you. My name is Sean Burns. I've been a founder for about 20 years now of companies like Flurry and Outlier. I've coached, invested in hundreds of other companies. I'm happy to share that with you. And I'm joined by our usual and illustrious panel, Ash and Nick. Hi, everybody. My name's Ash Rust, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I mostly invest in B2B companies based in the US, UK, and Canada through my fund, Sterling Road. I've also worked at places like Trinity Ventures and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media company Clout, as well as CEO and co-founder of SendHub. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than 1,500 startups over the years. Nick? Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am co-founder and CEO of a startup called Navi. We help people learn innovation skills, solve mission-critical problems, and bring new ideas to life. I've supported hundreds of founders on their startup quests, and I'm excited to be here for another round of the Startup Help Desk. And all the questions we answer here are submitted by people just like you. So if you have a question that you would like us to debate, answer, and investigate, we would love to hear it. Our website is thestartuphelpdesk.com. You can find us on Twitter at thestartuphd. We love hearing your questions. We always roll them up. And today, all the questions you'll hear are from people just like you. And in fact, all these questions are about finding product market fit. We are doing this here, we're recording this episode here mid-2023. The markets got hard. Venture capital is not flowing as freely. Founders are rediscovering the challenge and the discipline of finding product market fit, which is that key unlock point where the business becomes starts to grow and your focus is on explosive expansion. And it's not easy. So let's let's hopefully we can uh, derive some answers to these questions and give you a little bit of help on this journey because it's certainly not easy. All three of us have found product market fit. Um, some of us, I can tell you, I've I found it, lost it, and found it again many times. So hopefully, in like a trunk in the you. garage, <laughs> I have a box of product market fit out back that I just came up with for my last move. It's nice so. to have that on deck as available. Yeah. You got to get a shed and then try and put that kind of stuff in an inventory. A spreadsheet will work fine. Okay, okay. Here's our first question, uh, Nick and Ash. So this is a question submitted in. We've been experimenting for six months without any real success. Should we keep going or give up? That's kind of a brief question, but there's versions of that we hear every day. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, this is awesome. So I think the first piece of this is understanding what your process is when it comes to trying to find some success. I think the theme here is that you have to get lucky and you can be able to cultivate that luck through the right kind of process. You have to talk to prospective customers. You have to make sure that it is just central to your approach where you're doing this discovery and interviewing these prospective users to figure out, is there a problem? So number one, just make sure you've got the right process. And the second thing is, do you have any real proof? Do you have any evidence that you're solving a hair on fire problem? for these customers or users. If you've got proof, then now you can stand upon that and be able to iterate, test, and pivot and continue to advance forward to try to ultimately get lucky. If you don't have any proof, then it's time to at least find a new problem to try to solve. All of this, though, when it comes to whether you should give up or not, that's really a function of what your constraints are for time and money much more complicated. And so I'll kick it to Ash first before we have to get into the complications around that. 
So this question comes up a lot for me with early stage founders, especially when I'm working with people who are maybe just graduating from university and they are working on their first project, um, maybe based on an idea that they were working on uh, whilst uh, before they were graduating. So oftentimes when I talk to those people, they've spoken to maybe one or two dozen potential customers before they've made this decision that, you know, it's not really working. Now, that may mean that they've spent one month on customer discovery and then five months on development. But the number that I like to talk about is 200. So if you've done 200 customer discovery interviews and you haven't found a product that people want that you can build, fine, go and look at another market. But if you care about this market, uh, then just remember moving to some other market isn't going to suddenly be easier. In fact, you know it's likely going to be harder because you perhaps care about it less. It wasn't your first choice. So if you haven't done those 200 potential uh, customer discovery interviews uh, where people are talking about their problems, then you know I would suggest doing those because in most cases, it's going to become quite clear what people need. And you might find that it's a relatively simple solution and you can get those skill sets on your team. I love that. And of course, we have we, we definitely have more than 200 listeners on this podcast. Um, so you can definitely take our word for it. But I'm curious, Ash, how do you like a lot of founders, I can imagine giving up before they have those 200 discussions because they just don't know how to find 200 people right. to talk yep. to. How, in your Very common how request. Do, and so how do people find those 200 people? Sounds like a large number. Yeah, I like to reach out on the basis of asking people to be a design partner or join a customer advisory board. So you can do a cold email, but don't ask people uh to buy something or or indicate that you're trying to sell them something. Instead, ask them for advice. Tell them that you want them to be your advisor for this product that you're building just for them. And that can drastically increase the response rate, get you up to a level where you can reach out to a few hundred people and maybe get those, you know, hundred to two hundred calls. Yeah, I love that plan. One thing I'll add on that too is you're building momentum around this process and you're exercising perhaps a new muscle. And so then you just got to start talking to somebody for, let's just say, interviews one through 10. Maybe you go to a conference where you expect your target users to be or your target customers. Do anything to just start interacting with them and doing these interviews. And what you'll see is that as you build this momentum, you'll start understanding who the target user is and you'll start understanding where they spend their time. And that'll make it a lot easier to know how to unlock more doors to find more people. So another follow-up question is, is I often see that teams, they have a lot of these discussions, but when you really peel it back, the problem is they're not really listening, right? They're Because they're, they, they're expecting a certain, they're like, hey, do you have this problem? And the person they're talking to is like, oh, I don't have this problem. This other problem is much bigger. And they just ignore that second part because what they wanted was they wanted the person they're talking to say, yes, I have this problem. Yes. Yeah. 50 conversations and everybody else is like, no, this other problem is much bigger and they just totally ignore it. Any good tips on how to make sure when you have all these conversations, you're really listening in general and not just listening for something specific? Because that also seems to be a reason people claim that nothing's working. It's because they're trying to force something to work instead of really listening to what people say. I hope the specter of failure hangs over those conversations such that you do listen. Because you, the only thing that matters in those conversations is getting people talking, not trying to imprint your own hypothesis 
hopefully over a large number of conversations, you're going to be able to get an indication if, you've, if, if your hypothesis, your current hypothesis is appropriate. But yeah, I mean, the forcing people to answer questions about the problem you want to solve versus talk about the problems that are most pressing for them is the fastest route to startup failure at the seed stage. Yeah, I love that. And I think approach those conversations by assuming you're wrong. So don't come in saying we've got the solution and this is the answer. Instead, say we have this hypothesis and we believe we're likely wrong. So now let's investigate this and figure out where we're truly wrong and where we might be able to surprise ourselves and find out that we're on the right track. And just follow our example. We don't choose the questions. You all choose the questions for us. So look at that. You're already doing research. There's by no filtering at all, folks. We don't need <laughs> anything that you send in. We just put it right on the docket. Uh, and sometimes we wish there was. Speaking of which, okay, okay let's, keep <laughs> let's keep moving on. Ash, what else is on our question queue for today? All right, next question. We are a pre-product company doing customer development and searching for validation. My team wants more concrete goals and plans, but I don't have them at this early stage. What should I do? Oh, man, let me jump in first because I, I want to be clear. This is very common, especially if your team is coming from a big company where they're used to a lot of clarity and they're used to mm -hmm. execution. And this kind of early pre-product customer discovery phase is not that. It's very, it's very unfulfilling for people who judge their productivity by product features that are built or specific metrics that are they're improving because this is really a research phase. You're kind of poking around, you're learning, you're doubting yourself, you're finding things that contradict. And so it can feel very nonlinear. And so the first thing I'll say is it's very I common, never doubted myself as an entrepreneur. <laughs> just in case anyone's well, taking Well, I, I don't think, you've, have you ever doubted yourself in general? That's an unfair statement. We were just talking about startups. <laughs> you make it personal. Oh, I think the correct answer to that question is, why would I doubt something that you know there's no doubt about? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Um, so I'll say this, if your team starts to express concerns that there's not enough concrete goals or plans at the, the customer development phase, you really need to quickly adjust their expectations. You have to bring them back to this is, this is the reality of that, what you're in. And you will be in this phase until you have the validation that it's worth investing in building. The biggest mistake you can make is start building product investing too soon before you're really sure there's a sound foundation here. It can take months. It can take in some cases years. On average, with every company I've started, it's taken at least two years before I feel like, yes, we have completely validated this. We think it's we have the right foundation. Let's go. But I also tend to hire people who are used to that uncertainty. And so I tend to shy away from bringing in people from big companies because they're more used to this. Um, but even if you have people Prejudice. from big companies or small Prejudice. companies, <laughs> I think the key, the last thing I'll mention is your team can't run the company. So just because your team is uncomfortable and they want more concrete goals and plans doesn't mean it's a right decision. You have to do what's right for the company. And if it turns out in some ways they can adjust, you might have to let them go. Uh, because if you have the wrong team at the wrong stage and you can't fix it, then you need the right team that wants to lean into the uncertainty and vagary. But Nick, what do you think, man? You've built a bunch of teams. You've been in search of product market fit before. You agree, disagree? Yeah, I love it. And what I'll say is that there's a, at this stage, you're solving for one problem. You're trying to prove demand. So you, your team, the startup, the number one thing you're doing is trying to solve that problem. And so the problem you're not solving for 
is finding creative ways to keep people busy. And so what that means is avoid this urge to start just assigning this non-critical work to your team. Because what you don't yeah, want all, is to All think, joking oh, aside, do people do that? Do they make work for their team? Is that a thing? It's, there's a natural tendency where you can get distracted by the problems that are approaching you because you're saying, well, I need to solve this problem for the company, but this person needs something to feel fulfilled, as does this person. So there's this diffusion of what your focus should be by having so many problems come at you. And so ultimately, it is so core to say there is one thing that matters today. It's proving demand. And so continue to reinforce that with your team. Drive everyone towards that every day. And what that means is when they're looking for goals, plans, initiatives, it should be find more prospective customers to talk to, do more interviews, interpret more results, look for trends, keep iterating. That is the, that's the game plan. So if, if you're looking at your football playbook, it is uh, one page until you figure out that you're on the right track. Well, so what do you but guys think? He's talking I mean, about soccer. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. But yeah. In, in, in football, I guess, I don't even know. Would there be a, a even one page what playbook? What is football? What is that? <laughs> football. What is that tabletop thing that you guys play over here? That's football. When you're in Tahoe. Oh, thank you, Nick. That that NFL sponsorship I was lining up is now done. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, no. You shot it for <laughs> us. I was, I was so close to having that land. Oh, oh goodness. Well, do you, do you guys, to that question I brought up, if you have a team that maybe they're from a big company or maybe they're not, but they're just not comfortable with the ambiguity of the early stage, how do you decide if it's if you can turn them around or you, do you just need to let them go and have a different team because you can't be distracted by the fact that they want you to be something you're not? How do you make that decision? People have to adapt and quick. If they're not game in their speech, if they're not game in their actions very, very quickly, time for them to go. And I think the nice thing about this too is the metrics are simple. It's how many users, how many customers are we talking to, interpreting the results, et cetera. And so then there's a nice, it's really clear to be able to evaluate, is somebody actually advancing? And it becomes easier to assign them the task, so to speak, because you're saying, let's talk to more users, let's do more interviews. Yeah, I think that's simple. Cool beans. Let's make sure we can answer a third question this episode before we run out of time. Nick, what else is on our queue for today about finding product market fit? All right, let's do it. Number three, we have a few customers with our current product that are very happy, but it's been hard to find more. How do I know if I should pivot to another idea or stick with this one? Ash, do you want to kick things off? Sure. I think, first of all, we need to recognize that distribution is really, really hard. So don't be surprised if it's not easy to find new customers. They're not just going to simply fall from the sky. Everyone wishes that they had this perfect referral channel where every satisfied customer just broadcasts about their satisfaction to everybody that they know. And of course, that's just simply not true. Now, if you do have a few customers who are already present and happy, then you have a channel that's working. Presumably, those customers have come from some source. So let's immediately try and scale that channel. That might be putting more time into it, trying to add more numbers to it at the top of the funnel, whatever it is. But you should try and push that channel first. Then, of course, you should try some new channels, channels that you might have a personal flair for. Maybe that's content marketing or conferences, those kinds of things. There's also consulting, 
paid media, et cetera. Many, many different options there that you can potentially pursue, but you should try new channels. And I like to think about maybe a 75, 25% split in favor of the, uh, the channel that you are familiar with versus the test. And then the other thing to do is test out adjacent customer profiles. Maybe you have a few customers that are in a particular industry. Looking at customers who might be in a similar industry may yield great results for you. And if there are just more customers in that adjacent industry, it might be easier for you to grow. All of that said, finding a product that makes customers happy is pretty rare. So I'm hesitant to recommend giving up unless you've really given distribution a, uh, a great shot. You've got to give it your full focus. You've got to give it your full attention. If, you've, if you're sure you've tried, if you've tried pretty hard and distribution has not come your way, then maybe you can try another idea. But ugh, happy customers are rare. So make sure um, you don't give up too easily. I, I actually, oh man, I agree a thousand percent, which I know is not super common. I feel like, Ash, would you agree with this? There's a lot of companies that are leaning into product-led growth, which I think is a lazy way of saying that to exactly your point, the customer should fall out of trees on us. We shouldn't have to go find mm, them. Mm-hmm. They should come to us because yeah. we're a product-led growth company. They, they think that means I don't need to hire a sales team and instead <laughs> I, can right. just, <laughs> I can avoid talking to anybody. Uh, it's not going to happen. No, no, I... I agree. Uh, what I'll add to what Ash said is, so first off, what I think to frame this for a lot of people, people often talk about the size of their market. Like, for example, there are 10,000 pizzerias in the US. And that's true that they exist, but much more interesting is like, what is the, the, the reachable market? How many of those can you actually reach? How many can you get in contact with? So my great example is like, yeah, there's there's 500 companies in the Fortune 500, which means there's 500 CMOs in the Fortune 500, which means if you're selling marketing software, you say, well, there's 500 of them. If we sell to 10% mm-hmm. of them, that's going to be 50 and we'll make so much money. But then the follow-up question is, cool, how are you going to reach even a single one of those CMOs? Because they're extremely hard to reach and very busy. Just because they exist doesn't mean you can actually reach them. And so thinking about how you actually get to them, trying channels and these sorts of things is important, but it's also very, it is, it does happen that your market is large, but the addressable market, the market you can reach is not. And understanding that early so you don't end up at this part where you actually built it and you're using it is probably pretty important to understand. I also, I want to underline something Ash said, which is distribution is the business, right? Your business is not the product. The product is what you sell. If you getting it in the hands of customers is what you do. And it's going to be hard. It's just, I don't know. You do this too long. You start to realize that anybody can build a product, but man, if you can find a way to distribute it, it's like, it's magic. I've sat around many days just being mystified that any business works because of how hard distribution is. It seems... I think we're we're building a mantra in tech that any hardware business on a long enough timeline becomes a software business. Any software business on a long enough timeline becomes a media business. And <laughs> Apple might be the archetypal journey for that. Yeah, I believe that. I believe this is so hard, man. I don't know. I feel like if you sat down with a lot of very successful businesses like Apple, that, and if they didn't exist, but you described what they would do, everybody would look at you funny and be like, there's no way that would work. And so true. Because it's such a miracle when you get that distribution formula working. And I can't tell you how many founders I know that are like, oh, I can build a better, a better NetSuite 
right? I can build a better accounting system than NetSuite. And what you realize is NetSuite's business is not, their software's horrible. Their business is a thousand percent distribution. Same thing with QuickBooks and, and all the TurboTax and everything. Their software is not their business. Their business is the fact that they have distribution and you don't. And good luck trying to take it from them because they'll defend it like, no tomorrow, but I mean, you can experiment, you know, frankly, I think the best chance to innovate like putting your companies. name on a NASCAR driver <laughs> or becoming not, not a NASCAR driver or, <laughs> yeah, there it is. I mean, if you can, if you can innovate in, in, in your channels and your distribution, that's, I think people think about innovation as technology, like I'll innovate my product or my code, but like, if you can innovate in how you reach the customer, that's probably more valuable than innovating in the product. It's also necessary. No distribution channel will survive more than a couple of years, even in the best case. Oh, that's you interesting. Are, if you want to scale, you are going to have to use multiple channels. I'm yet to see anybody have just one channel play out, even if it's referrals. Oftentimes, you just become thirsty enough for growth that you're going to have to do something else. So when you say survive, Ash, do you mean that it goes away or, or it's insufficient on its own anymore and it has to be augmented with something else? They tend to do a combination of things. They'll either plateau or they will go away. Oftentimes with like paid media, for example, you'll be searching, 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 spending money looking for a pocket of traffic that is efficient for you, that is low cost and, and high conversion. When you find that, it's only a matter of time before someone else finds it and then drives up the cost. So those kinds of things are essentially temporary. With things like partnerships, maybe, or with referrals, those kinds of mechanisms, they tend to plateau. So your hunger for growth will outpace the scale that they can offer. Oh, I like that. That's a great thought because it goes back to our current point. Like, even if you find product market fit, it doesn't mean you're going to hold on to it. Like, if you have, to Ash's point, if you have a channel that's working, it can go away. And if it goes away and you don't find another one, hey, guess what you just lost? Product market fit. Good luck in going to find it again. So it's... I guess, you know, your, your reward for actually finding the garage. <laughs> it's in that I know, that's right. At least, Sean, at least you've got some, some extra ones on deck for everybody. That's always nice. Well, you, so when I, when I first met my girl, my wife, who's my girlfriend, I still had a box um, that I had not unpacked from my move from the East coast out to California. And at one point I remember she asked me what was in it. And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's been sitting there for 10 years. It's part of the furniture now. It's not even a box. That's right. Maybe that that's where product market fit is hiding in that box. That's so good. <laughs> Probably so, for so many, many people by the sounds of things. Maybe <laughs> it also sounds like it could be the subject of an Edgar Allan Poe story. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, there should be like, you know, a best a best used by date on most of our product market fit. Like, oh, no, this product market fit is from 1999. I think we should get rid of it. It's, <laughs> it's well overdue. It's starting to smell bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. See, see, speaking of smelling bad, uh, I appreciate all the answers today. We've reached the end of our questions. As always, Ash and Nick, thanks for the insights and the smells. Thank you both. So much fun, as always. Smell you later. <laughs> We will be back in the future. If you have questions you'd like us to answer, please let us know. Our website is thestartuphelpdesk.com. Our Twitter handle is thestartuphd. We'd love to hear your questions. more questions we get, the more episodes we can do. And the more episodes we do, the happier we are. So do it for us, not for yourself. But for now, the Startup Help Desk is closed. Good luck in building your business.